brings me joy to break down barriers for my students, proving the impossible possible, and watching the enormous personal development that students experience, and then where it leads them as they continue their work academically and pre-professionally. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Stride's inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad, a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with World Strides, and I'm so excited about today's episode. We'll be talking about capacity building and education abroad through strategic outreach with a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I am pleased to be joined by my friend, Valerie Jankalunas. Valerie is the Experiential Learning Advisor and Community Liaison Specialist in the Experiential Global Learning Office at the University of Connecticut. Valerie brings almost two decades of experience working with diverse populations through education and nonprofit organizations to move the dial. Valerie holds degrees from the University of Hartford and the School for International Training. Valerie is also a good friend, and as a fellow nerd maker, she lives right down the road from me here in Connecticut. I am so excited for today's conversation. You do not want to miss this episode. Val, welcome. Thank you so much, Zach. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, neighbor. I'm so excited for you to be here as well. Thank you for joining us. Could you start by describing your current role at UConn to us? Absolutely. So I'm very lucky to be in a creative role that we are calling Community Liaison Specialist. And what that means is I'm working with our campus community members to really do outreach to student populations here at UConn and diversify who's studying abroad. That's really what the position is in a nutshell. And then I still get to do all of the fabulous advising that I always have done. And here at UConn, we do that by academic major. So I'm working with students from a number of backgrounds, uh, social sciences, exploratory majors and individualized majors. And then getting to kind of be the face of, of this office and building relationships out there. Excellent. Yeah, I'm so impressed by all the work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you for that, Val. Um, you know, in order to give a little bit of context to our listeners, would you mind sharing a bit about the education abroad ecosystem and what makes study abroad at UConn unique? Study abroad at UConn uh, is unique because I think it's always transforming I have been here at UConn for five and a half years and working with an incredible team. And we are always looking at ways to innovate what we do. So, you know, one of the things that happened early on when I was here is we switched from advising by uh, location, which a number of folks do, to this more academic model. And during the time I've been here, I have also advised for other areas. But what we've tried to do as a team is really come together to, to work with students individually on having goals that are really focused academically, personally, and pre-professionally. We thought the best way to do that was through academic major. And we coordinate with uh, the academic departments on campus to have that be a more significant experience academically. So we call that collaborative advising. So you have a a dual role in your office, right? And I'd love for you to expand a bit more on what the community liaison specialist role entails. 
Yeah, so it, it is a lot of outreach here in the community. So I have a, a fabulous job because I get to build meaningful relationships across campus. So in order to do my work, outreaching to students, I really get to be strategic about the relationships that I build on campus to work together with colleagues and look for common ground as far as our mission. So folks that are student-centered here on campus a lot of times benefit from our partnerships. So we're able to kind of look at the ways in which we can support one another. And we've had excellent results with that. And we have academic departments, but we also have non-academic departments that we're able to work with, with students at the center of what we're doing. That's great. You know, your, your position is inherently one where you can be creative. And I'd love to hear an example of how you've thought outside the box in terms of fostering a professional relationship on campus with the end goal of supporting or empowering students to achieve education abroad opportunities in mind. Absolutely. So at UConn, we're lucky to have five cultural centers on campus. So the cultural centers represented here, we have the African American Cultural Center, we have the Asian American Cultural Center, we have the Puerto Rican and Latin American Cultural Center, the Women's Center, and the Rainbow Center. Um, So I am lucky to work with all five of those cultural centers and their staff. They all have directors who have incredible experiences, and some of them have actually been here for decades, which is uh, very special. And you can actually see that in their spaces. Uh, several of them have murals that represent that history over you know, a long period of time, how things came about the way they did, founding the centers initially, and then the activities that have been significant, how students have been impacted. So one of the things that I have wanted to do is is focus a lot of my work across campus, working with those directors and their teams so that we could do outreach together with students in those spaces because those are their safe spaces. So that's a big point, I think, of pride for me is being able to bridge those relationships in meaningful ways, um, but also keeping in mind that these groups have their, their own sort of ways that they operate. They build community, and how do I become a part of that community to support what the students um, have as goals themselves and where the directors would like to help the students to develop? So that, and believe it or not, we also work quite a bit with our Veterans Affairs Office. So similarly, getting to know that population through the people that work most closely with those students and then supporting them in a variety of ways, whether it be working with them on funding resources to reduce those barriers, but also looking at other needs of the population to support students going abroad, such as um, their mental health needs. And we've been very successful with these collaborations. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You know, as as part of my role, Val, as you know, I get to visit lots of different university campuses and I get to see lots of different things. And one of my favorite things is when a colleague offers to give me a campus tour. And you have done this yourself, but you, in my 15 years of being in this field, you are the only person who has ever brought me into spaces like that on a campus tour. When you, when you showed me around, we went into the Rainbow Center. We went into the Puerto Rican and Latin American Center. It, it was, and it was, it was so clear to me that not only did you have a relationship with the professional staff in those spaces, with, you had a relationship with the students as well. And I was just so impressed by that. 
Well, and it's it's fun for me to actually take folks into those spaces, Zach, because I think we are represented well within them. So I don't know if you remember, but when we went into the Puerto Rican and Latin American Cultural Center, there was an entire wall of students who have studied abroad. And I'm able to point out specific students and recall some of their stories. And this has been going on for a long time, um, you know, before me. But we're able to continue supporting students so that wall is growing and growing. Um, but also, you know, being able to listen to the folks who are within those centers, give tours and talk about what's important and unique about their center and what they offer to students. I love for partners to really get to hear that and start the wheels turning for how can they get involved. And it's always a pleasure to work with you, of course. So our colleagues from off campus, you're right, don't often get a chance to have that perspective. And I think it's an important one to consider. And it may be even something strategically down the road, you realize that we have a collaboration that could grow in a a particularly niche way as a result of that. Yeah, I love it. It's a it's a tree that can bear a lot of different fruit, right? And so obviously, Val, you've been up to some very big things at UConn. And I'd love for you to tell us about a partnership or a program that you are particularly proud of. Well, I have to say that's pretty easy. Um, I have a lot to choose from. One in particular that I love from this year, we were able to partner with the African American Cultural Center here on campus during Black History Month. We had a brand new program this past winter break. It was winter in Ghana, and it was the first year we offered the program, and we had excellent results with our recruiting, and we had, I believe, about 20 students who went to Ghana with our program leaders. So one of my Gilman scholars actually hosted a panel, facilitated a panel in the center. She brought together some of those students and she brought together the two program leaders. So the Gilman Scholar herself had participated in a summer program in Mauritius, which is also in Africa, but very different population there. So that student was able to kind of do some comparative conversation about the two uh, countries in Africa, how different they were. But the other really um, fabulous part of this was, by heritage, she is Ghanaian. And so she was really able to talk about Ghana with the students and get insights from them about the experiences they had. And then as a bonus, um, her dad actually owns a local Ghanaian restaurant and he offered to cater the event. So what was so great about that is everyone was able to experience some of the culture through food. And we had standing room only in the space We had students who were interested in attending the program in the future. We had folks from our first year programs, both staff and their students. And we had administrators who were strong advocates from around the university who came to hear these experiences directly from the students. And Zach, they were quite powerful. Part of the agenda for the program was going to the slave dungeons and being able to reflect on that. And it was an interesting group of students, I have to say. The majority of those 20 students, believe it or not, actually had direct ties through their families to Africa. So they may have been the first generation here in the U.S., but many of their parents grew up in different countries within Africa. So it was a multi-layered, fascinating opportunity to connect with folks in our community. 
Well, I love how you, you know, tied an education abroad program and then you had an event afterwards at the time. And then you just really brought a lot of things together there, it sounds like. So very impressive. So Val, you are a tireless DEI champion in every sense of the world. Um, you're one of our field's best, I think. What is something that brings you joy as you are intentional about bringing an inclusivity lens to your work? Well, again, Zach, um, that's that's something I've reflected on a lot. So it's not a hard question. It brings me joy to break down barriers for my students, proving the impossible possible and watching the enormous personal development that students experience and then where it leads them as they continue their work academically and pre-professionally. Just today, I have to tell you, I had a student who stopped by. She's graduating and she just wanted to thank me um, and, and tell me that I changed her life. And, you know, that's saying a lot, but I understand the sentiment. I've had many educators who I've learned from and who've impacted me tremendously. And I can guarantee you that they don't all know that. Um, so the fact that she intentionally came in to make sure that I knew that and to tell me what her plans were. And amongst those plans, she's a first-generation college student and described herself as being low-income and, and not believing that this ever would have been possible. And she did an internship in London, and she was thriving there. She also became the president of our first-gen society here on campus, and she has been supporting students to apply for the Gilman Scholarship and to learn about study abroad opportunities. So I've been hearing from my students that talking to her has been instrumental in their plans and really their confidence. Um, and this is a student who actually decided she's going to end her career here at UConn, walking the stage in May, but then going on another one of our programs, the Camino de Santiago, this summer. What more can you ask for? I mean, that's that's all we're looking for as educators, to help transform people. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you for that. So Val, how do you build allyship across a campus as big and diverse as UConn's? Um, tell our listeners about the ways that that can look and what are the pro tips that you'd like to share with us? Oh, absolutely. Um, so working in the campus community, what I do is I, I look to meet like-minded folks from other offices. I've done this by attending events that are hosted, for example, by our cultural centers or other departments here on campus. I've actually also done it by working with our staff union here at UConn, getting into some committee work. And one of the committees I was able to join, it was a newer committee and any committee you can definitely make something up and, and find out where the like-minded people are. But I happened to be able to join a social justice committee here on campus. So that helped me to start meeting people across the university, outside of who I'd run into every day, um, who want to do this work. So talking with our academic advisors too, look for those folks that are really student-centered. And it's not that hard to find them. When you start sitting down and having a conversation, you can tell exactly who they are. So that hasn't been too hard for me, despite UConn being a pretty large place. I used to work for some of the community colleges here in the state. And when I came to UConn, it was quite a bit bigger. But I have to tell you, I felt at home here. The large campus really did come to feel like home in not too long of a time. And it's because of the people here. So finding those like-minded people who are going to help you with the types of goals you have for diversifying 
who is studying abroad. So you can also kind of look for events that are being hosted by people. What are the titles? That is going to be revealing to you as well. And it's worthwhile to attend and get to know the folks who who are there. Um, And you may meet some students too who can help you. We're taking leadership roles on the campus. We definitely have colleagues that are creating workshops and they're presenting them both here on campus um, and through some of the professional organizations. So those are people that you can reach out to very easily. And then also looking around at what kind of funding is being advertised around campus, not specifically for education abroad, but that are supporting our underrepresented populations on campus. So those are some of the ways that I look to build community with people. And I've had a lot of luck with this. And I don't feel like it has been a heavy lift personally. We all know as education abroad professionals, you know, um, the day to day of our work can be so consuming, right? Mm-hmm. The emails, the student advising appointments, the phone calls from parents, right? How do you balance the day to day of our work as international educators with this kind of strategic outreach that you're describing? That's a great question. So one of the things I did early on before um, I kind of stepped into this specific role I looked for ways to become more efficient. And one of the things I was able to do was create more opportunities for sort of group advising. So what do I mean by that? Um, Anything that would create an opportunity to connect with more students during what would be your typical 30-minute period, right? So I started working with academic advisors, and I was able to um, host an hour-long information session where you know, if I had three students, that already saved me time. But often we had done a a good enough job promoting that I was looking at at least 10 students, if not more. We've also um, managed our time by visiting classrooms. So some of those classrooms are first year experience program. For example, our psych department does a really great job. They have a year long program for freshman students. And every year, I will go in and speak to a group of about 20 students in each class. So I look for ways to kind of, you know, efficiently do my advising work and be meeting people in the process. So between those classroom visits and then creating these collaborative advising sessions with the academic advisors, but also encouraging students to come in as a group. So I'm a big fan of saying, you know, if you have a friend or two that you would like to bring along, please feel free to do that. So certainly not saying it's easy, but I'm always kind of uh, reflecting on what I'm doing. How can I do it better? And talking with my team here about ways we can support each other. And uh, it's a strong team and it's one that is always innovating. And that's really useful. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, seeking efficiencies where we can, while at the same time, not sacrificing the the level of service that we provide our students. So that's fantastic. Globally oriented offices come in all shapes and sizes and with varying levels of resources. What are some suggestions that you have for our listeners uh, who want to scale up or scale down or good places that they can get started for increasing connections with others in their community? So I think some of this, believe it or not, begins organically through chance meetings on campus. So kind of be looking for those things to happen organically. Sometimes it's about planting a seed in a meeting. So look at the meetings you're already attending and are there 
there are opportunities for you to introduce yourself, be able to present a little bit of information about um, the value that studying abroad and we bring as international educators with the structure um, that we have. And one of the things that I did during the pandemic we had a then provost who was hosting open forums for faculty and staff. And this was a place people could come to discuss concerns, share information, and get answers to questions on the spot. So I was very visible to colleagues at those meetings, and I contributed to discussions, sometimes just in very small ways. I would share how our office was supporting students without even being able to travel. Because um, as we know, people were wondering, how are we keeping our jobs? What is it that we're doing during this time when no one could travel? And they were surprised to hear that we were innovating that entire time. And we were looking to continue to support students with becoming global citizens and developing proficiencies that we had previously been working through our on-site programs. So this was the time I was able to talk about the resources that we had and be strategic about it. Um, I was able to talk about the financial um, in, in resources that we were sharing with our students and the other things we were doing to reduce barriers for students. And I had many of the same goals as other units, both academic and non-academic. So sharing how our work contributes to those same goals and why it does can really be beneficial for getting other folks on board to want to partner in a variety of ways. You know, and I can say, for example, We've had a number of people who have gotten on board and supported us, for example, with helping students to get passports. So that's one like evidence-based example where we've done outreach, we've been able to speak to, this transformative learning students are able to do, and various departments when asked have said, you know, I think I have some money to assist with that. And obviously it's going to be different campus to campus, what kinds of resources you have. But I also come from a background of working with limited to no resources. I've worked in nonprofit settings and other educational settings that, you know, I'm just relying on myself and my ability to present information and build connections and those sorts of things. So strategy is often as important as the finances. Um, so I do want to stress that for folks that are saying, well, gosh, I, I don't see myself in that situation of going to an academic department and having them have finances to support our students studying abroad. It's just not a reality. So you want to build those connections and you want to see where you can head. And I think we have a lot of information out there in our field about grants and, and other things that can support us. And the more of these other colleagues you have that you, you're networking with, you can find folks that can help you to build out those types of grants to support those common goals you have for students. So Val, what are some challenges that professionals working in higher ed face when we are tasked with forging meaningful and sustainable relationships on campus and beyond? Yes, absolutely. So I think some folks aren't as skilled with thinking outside the box. That's definitely something I've noticed. And Sometimes folks won't see the connections that you see. So we as international educators, we may see where there are commonalities um, and where we can build on them. And that may not be apparent initially to some of the folks that we want to work with. The other thing is staffing challenges. So that can also limit the capacity for folks to work on new projects, but it's all in how you frame it. Looking for solutions 
you know, I, I see this all the time. I feel very fortunate to be on the team I, I'm on. We, I think, just work so well together and there are enough of us that we can really support each other with the projects we're doing. But some people are running a one-person office. They, they don't have as many staff resources. So being able to say, hey, this is what I can add to your office um, through my work, whether it's providing a presentation or partnering for an event, showing up to their event, um, those are the kinds of things that you can look for. And look for benefits that'll come as a result of new collaborations. And it may take a little bit of time, but those are the types of things that I would encourage people to do. Because these are these are challenges that impact everyone between the staffing and, and the types of mindsets you're going to encounter with folks on campus. But begin with just talking with one person in a unit if you can. There can also be a tendency at a lot of institutions for departments to work in silos. So it's important to work to inform yourself about what's happening in other departments around you with other units and how you might be able to get involved in what they're doing. So I think that's going to benefit you a lot. So again, when we talk about managing our time, we have an internal publication that comes out every day here at UConn, and it just lists the the different things that are going on in campus. And I always make a point to take a look at that. And I know a lot of people would just delete it, but I, I've found a lot of synergies when I've learned about what other people are doing, whether it's offering professional development or hosting an event or if someone is presenting research. So these little things really can make the difference for you. Absolutely. And so Val, we all want to see increased diversity in the students who are going abroad. What are some ways we can, either as individuals or collectively as a field, take steps that get us closer to this goal? I'm a big proponent for creating welcoming spaces, and it's something that I see with other colleagues on campus and how big of a difference it makes. So whether it's your office as a whole, um, and I know we were fortunate to make some changes here in our office where it cr- we created a space when you first walk in where there are um, bright colors and there are couches to sit down and if you wanted to bring your laptop and you know there's attractive things on the walls and it's a modern space but it's a comfortable space for students to want to spend time in and we did see more students coming in that way but in your office as well looking around your office and how can you make a student feel seen and welcome and comfortable so that they are likely to come in and build a relationship with you so i've been very intentional and other colleagues have been very intentional about representing yourself in the items that you have on your wall or um, that you're decorating your space with and, you know, make a student comfortable. So thinking intentionally about those things is, is going to go a long way. I also think listening, and that sounds like a very simple thing, listening to the concerns of your students is really going to help. The more that you get to know your population and the concerns they have, that are turning into barriers for participation in study abroad, the more change you're going to see if you're able to work proactively on how you would mitigate those barriers. And then putting yourself in the shoes um, of those students and proactively sharing that information so both you and they can begin to strategize to reduce those barriers. What ends up happening is that students are talking to each other. And next thing you know, 
we're getting more students from these traditionally underrepresented populations to talk with those supportive advisors. Um, They really develop a reputation as being someone that can truly help students and who also cares about helping those students. Students can really feel that. So we have really developed a reputation here in the EGL office as being a place where students feel seen and they feel valued. And that's something that um, you have to continue to work at too. It's not something you achieve and then um, it's done. It's something you have to be intentional about every day. The work never stops. Right. What is an example of a relationship you've built on campus that had some unexpected outcomes or perhaps flourished in a way you didn't expect? Yes, absolutely. So I mentioned working with academic advisors and we have our Center for Exploratory Students. It's actually right down the hall from our office. And we have some great colleagues over there who do really innovative things with helping students to figure out um, you know, what their academic major would be, what their interests are professionally. And so we started partnering with them um, for collaborative advising. And this has led to lots of surprising things. Um, the first is that I created Um, a goal-setting workshop for education abroad that I was co-hosting with them. And we had students coming in and working as a group with our input on how to build goals for selecting a program um, to participate in education abroad. And we actually initially did this in person, and then we moved it to a virtual space as well. And we found that we were able to connect with many more students. The other thing that happened was the director um, was able to actually lead a program. So he created a syllabus and it really focused on um, personal development and kind of looking at exploring potential academic majors and looking at values and that sort of thing. And this is a program that's new for this summer, but we had great enrollment. We were able to work together to recruit students and promote the features of the program. And the the program is going to be running this summer with not one, but two groups with two program leaders. So, you know, this is not something that came about without our, our intentional work. Not only did I work with our director, who's like-minded and easy to work with and an innovator, but his staff, and he he continues when he has an open position, to get great team members who are innovative and were able to seamlessly work based on what the strengths of those folks are and what the strengths are of folks here in EGL. One of the many things that has impressed me about your work, Valerie, uh, is your work with scholarships. You have done a lot to raise the profile of scholarships on campus at UConn and just overall reduce financial barriers for your students. What do you wish more advisors out there, and students for that matter, knew about this part of our field? And as a second part to that, what are some ways that we can encourage more students to apply for scholarships, and how can we empower them to tell their story? Okay, so yeah, I'd say first of all, you're not going to attract diversity in your student participants without addressing the financial barriers. I put it right out there. I put it out there in just about every presentation I do. Um, including for students that are new to campus. We have students that come to campus the summer before their freshman year. I present this to them. I present it to students that are considering UConn, and I present it to my students during collaborative advising who are at any level of their career here at UConn. 
So putting it out there so students don't automatically single themselves out as not being not belonging in education abroad. So international educators can support students by helping them to learn about the resources that are available, and they should be mindful about connecting with students as soon as they get onto campus as freshmen, because then we've got time to strategize. We created um, some content on our website categorizing different types of aid, and we're always looking to add to that. I talk about scholarships and financial resources and strategizing to leverage the, the funding you currently have to pay for school in every single advising appointment. And I use it as part of, you know, getting to know the student and helping them to select programs accordingly. And this can take some time, but I know here at UConn, we've been able to look at the structures of our program financially, and we know exactly what types of funding is going to fit best for those different structures and helping students to see that. There's a budget on every single one of our program brochures and being able to really illustrate for students explaining, you know, what does it mean if a a program, for example, if I'm going to pay UConn tuition for that? What's different if I'm going abroad? Or if someone is going to save money by going on a program that's fee-based, what goes into the cost of that program? And again, how can they strategize to make that work for their particular situation? So there's a lot of education that goes into play. But again, it's very worthwhile because it makes what seems impossible, be possible. The other piece of it really is helping to work alongside the student and, first of all, supporting them, being a cheerleader, reminding them of their capabilities, reducing their anxiety, and then helping them with things like time management so that they can look at the processes they need to complete to apply for funding. And I know I spend a lot of time with students helping to make the process easier with things like essay writing by partnering, for example, with our writing center. I've created groups where we can get together and start working on essays as a group and give feedback on the spot. So trying to constantly innovate, again, the cultural centers, I've spent time literally sitting around tables with students talking about these opportunities, talking to them about, you know, the the similarities between applications. If they know that they have already applied to one of our programs and the questions are similar for a scholarship, you know, they're they're already part of the way there. So making these connections with them so it doesn't seem as heavy of a lift. So I think getting ahead of your goals and objectives and, you know, backtracking, how are you going to get there? How can you help your students to meet their goal? And, you know, I've really seen students do a great deal of work. And I've seen students who have also felt like they were falling short. But since we started the process so early, we're able to regroup and say, all right, well, you didn't make this deadline. But guess what? You're actually going to be able to meet the next one. Let's talk about how we're going to do that. And, you know, as we begin to wrap up here, I have a a rather big question for you. Valerie, what change do you want to see in the world? Mm, That's a big one. You know, there are a lot of injustices in our world, so I think that can be a tough question. Question, but I've thought a lot about this, and I think the root of why I want to do this work, um, diversifying who studies abroad and making this a reality for more students, is to create more understanding between people. 
This includes people of different cultures, but also abilities, mindsets, identities, and life experiences, because we see such uh, a strong connection of people gaining understanding of other people when they learn more about their lives, you know, immersively. And study abroad is a huge vehicle for this type of change in mindset of getting to know what someone else's struggles are, what their joys are, what their values are, but also kind of looking at the why behind some of it. So this leads to lasting changes, I believe, in people when they encounter something new and being able to stop and um, really employ more curiosity than judgment and having more interest in learning those reasons behind what they're seeing, and consequently, having more empathy for other other human beings as a result. Well, I can't imagine a better place to end it than right there. Valerie Jacolunas, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Zach. It was great to be here. I always learn something from you every time we speak. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Sat McGinnis, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World Strides colleagues, Lindsay Kelchner and Sarah Kuchuba, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives Through Education Abroad on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And do share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together. 